Welcome once again to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as usual by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. We're back after a bit of a break and in this edition we're discussing proposals to build a new royal yacht. Now Greg and I are both strongly in favour of it. Far from being some nostalgic vanity project, this will be a great opportunity to showcase Britain on the world stage and the benefits in terms of trade and jobs will be enormous. We'll explain why. This should be a fascinating discussion. Well, Greg, this is the first podcast you and I have done for a little while, and it's a subject we haven't really touched on before, and it's been something that's been in the pipeline for a little while now, and that's talk of a new royal yacht uh, being given the green light. And the noises have become a little bit louder in the weeks following the death of the Duke of Edinburgh recently. But I'm very much aware, Greg, that Royal Yacht Britannia was decommissioned in 1997. And that means there's a whole generation of people, people in their teens now, and indeed even young adults, who have no recollection whatsoever of a time when we had a Royal Yacht and don't remember what its role was or what its purpose was. So I'll start off by giving a very brief history lesson as to what it was all about. And the Royal Yacht Britannia was in service from 1954 right up until 1997. It underwent its final major refit in 1987. Then in 1994, Viscount Cranbourne gave a written answer in the House of Lords, saying that a further estimated refit costing around £17 million would be necessary in around 1996 or 1997, but it would only prolong her life for another five years. With that in mind, it was decided to decommission Britannia after 1997. And there were some controversial events that led up to that happening. And there was a general election in 1997. It was clear pretty early on in the campaign, and indeed for a few years beforehand, that Labour was going to win and was likely to win big. But the future of the Royal Yacht was a campaign issue. And the Conservatives under John Major were committed to replacing the yacht the Labour Party had said that it would not commit use of public funds to a replacement for at least the first two years of a Labour government. The Queen didn't like it becoming a political football at a time when efforts were being made to restore the monarchy's image after certain difficulties it had experienced during the course of the 1990s. However, Prince Philip disputed the claims of the cost, and 10 years ago, in an interview to mark his 90th birthday, he said that the Royal Yacht Britannia should have had her wind turbines taken out and diesel engines put in. Then she could have lasted another 50 years, according to him. But of course, Labour won the election in 1997. And in the August, the late August of 1997, Princess Diana was killed in the car crash in Paris. And then in October, about five or six weeks later, I think it was, the Labour government formally announced that the Royal Yacht would not be replaced and the yacht was decommissioned on the 11th of December, 1997. Now, I recall earlier in the year, in 97, the yacht was uh, in Hong Kong for the handover of the Hong Kong territory to China. And then I remember watching in December, 1997, when Royal Yacht Britannia was decommissioned. That was the only time the Queen had uh, been seen to shed a tear in public throughout her entire reign before or since. But Greg, I've talked a lot there. I've given a brief history lesson. I was 13 years of age when Britannia was decommissioned, but in terms of, um, well, I was 14 by then, wasn't I, 1997, December. But your recollections of the Royal Yachts were more vivid than mine. What was its purpose and what role did it serve during that long period of time? I think we can sum that up with um, 
the decommissioning of the Royal Yacht and or refusal to replace it by Blair's doctrinally Marxist socialist government was just an act of petty jealousy of some sort to denigrate Britain to elevate his own status. I can think of no other reason for dispensing with the concept. People were led to believe that there was something classist about it. You know, there was, there's no doubt about that. It was there to earn jobs, particularly for the working classes. Jobs earned by traveling all over the world and acting as a platform to market Great Britain and sign contracts in the defense industry, in construction industry, in energy industries, every single industry that Britain was party to. Right. This is very important because I remember there was a lot of misconception at that time leading up to 1997 and the decommissioning. There were those, and I remember the tone of the media reports at the time, and I've read back some articles that were written around about that time. The inverted snobbery, which you've referred to there, was indeed very much a factor, but there was also a lot of misconception that this was something the Queen and Prince Philip used to travel around the world and go on their holidays on where nothing could be further from the truth in terms of its function. That, that was something that, you'll remember this probably better than I do, actually. That was very much the tone of the discussion leading up to 1997, wasn't it? Indeed. I've been on Britannia, and I've seen Britannia in foreign ports as well. It has been a platform for marketing. Mm. Now, frequently, Britannia was moved around the world and positioned so that when a member of the royal family representing these United Kingdoms or, or our prime minister under many circumstances was leading a trade delegation, they could use Britannia for hospitality and for pure marketing. Mm. It was a brilliant concept. Yes, it was used by uh, members of the royal family, particularly the Queen and Prince Philip, to who gave it its status by being frequent users of it. It mm. was not a yacht that gave them status. They can go anywhere in the world and be fated and received. However, if you'd use Britannia, you arrive with the yacht in a port, you can hold banquets for the emissaries of major corporations, you can hold host cocktail parties, visits, all sorts of functions on a grander, more stable platform than you could in any other way. And let us not forget that it was a Royal Naval ship. It wasn't just a yacht for business. It was a fully fitted hospital ship that could be used anywhere in the world at times of crisis, whether that was a tsunami, warfare, or evacuation, or hospital treatment as a result of volcanic action. It had immense use. And the more it was seen around the world, not as a warship, and never was it a warship, it was a ship of peace and progress. 
and it really was crass, petty-minded stupidity on the part of a crass, petty-minded Tony Blair and his utterly incompetent cabinet. Right, I'm going to talk about Blair himself now, because years later, uh, I think it's even in his memoirs, Blair expressed regret for perhaps getting rid of Britannia, but certainly not creating a replacement. And he recalls a conversation he had with uh, Prince Charles some years later, where Charles explained in relatively similar terms to the ones you've just used, uh, what the role of Britannia was. And Charles sort of said, yeah, thanks for that. But what you say is important because look, to this day, all right, the Queen and Prince Philip in more recent years cut back their international travel as you would expect of people of their age, but other members of the royal family continue to do so. There is a difference, isn't there, between, look, the Queen can get a good reception in many, many, many countries all over the world. So can members, other members of the royal family, and they can host banquets in hotels and, uh, and, and in posh restaurants and so forth. But that's one thing. There is a big difference, isn't there, between going to a posh hotel or a wherever, a conference venue, anywhere in the world, and having it on the British royal yacht itself. It was a status thing and a very valuable one as well. It could have even given status to somebody as politically infantile as Tony Blair. Mm. Now, what you said about Blair a second ago about this being a Marxist project. Now, I think as the years go by and and we have that little bit of distance between the current time and, and then, I think Blair was a not particularly bright front man for this sort of culturally Marxist project. I think... Alistair Campbell was pulling the strings in many ways, and it was an act of crass, um, well, they used the word modernization and slimming down and everything like that. But I think it was, it was a crass act of class warfare, if you like, and a strike against Britain's traditions and everything like that. And also the sheer stupidity of it. Now, I'll just give you one stat on this. Events held on board the yacht helped raise three billion pounds you heard that correctly three billion pounds for the treasury between 1991 and 1995 alone three billion pounds that's not allowing for inflation that was in the figures of the day how crass could they possibly be by getting rid of it um why should we be surprised almost Mm. everything else they did was crass Mm. I'm, i'm sorry um looking back at the staggering stupidity and the state of debt they left the country in, forcing us all into austerity for basically the best part of 20 years as a result of their dismantling of so many parts of our government and our nation that literally ran like clockwork. Well, well, Greg, 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 I would say that the, the vandalism I I don't use that word lightly, the vandalism that the new Labour project did is only really beginning to be understood now. Okay, on the one hand, we can see that the very obvious crass acts in terms of like the Iraq war, which led to the deaths of British service personnel and goodness knows how many innocent Iraqis, the numbers are huge, based on Blair and Alistair Campbell's lies. And Blair did stand at the dispatch box of the House of Commons and and lie about non-existent weapons of mass destruction. Yes, and we should never forget that. And this business now, I mean, Alistair Campbell, you know, he's seen as a sort of cartoon villain sitting in the old Piers Morgan seat on Good Morning Britain. No, I don't think this is acceptable. 
This isn't a cartoon villain or someone we can have a bit of fun with in the way we did with Piers Morgan. This is a man whose actions led to the deaths of innocent people, both British service personnel and Iraqis. And also, beyond that, the constitutional vandalism in terms of the half-finished, half-baked, ill-thought-out devolution project and reforms of the House of Lords, we're only really beginning to see the implications and consequences of that now. But I don't want to get too sidetracked because this is about the Royal Yacht. And in terms of getting rid of the Royal Yacht, this was something, again, it more than pays for itself, as I've just demonstrated with the stats I just gave you. But looking at the framing of the debate that's been around in recent times, and say the noises have got louder in the weeks following Prince Philip's death, in terms of people saying, is it good value or not? Those who are saying it is not good value and are saying, oh, it's going to cost £200 million. Think we've got food banks and they can spend £200 million on a yacht. What on earth is going on? And it's all the predictable people on the left. And and I'm not talking about the old socialist patriotic left in the mold of Attlee and Gateskill. I'm talking about the the modern loopy left, if you like. And they're making these comments and they don't seem to have any comprehension or logic whatsoever as to what the purpose of the yacht is in terms of trade, creating jobs. This was a working yacht, if you like. They completely fail to see that because they can't see beyond their own blinkered snobbery. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, unfortunately, I say unfortunately because it made it such a truism, had socialism down to a fine art. She pointed out that socialism worked perfectly until it ran out of everybody else's money. Socialism went out of its way in many ways to destroy ways of making money. It expected everything to be free handout. Where this free handout is supposed to come from, I'm not quite sure. And they sure to hell were. Now, let us move forward. We cannot commission a royal yacht, whatever we call it, quickly enough. And one very big reason for that is we have shipyards in Berwick that stand almost idle at the moment, and shipyards around Britain that need work. What better way of commissioning them than to build an exemplary replacement for Britannia? I do not expect some vacuous, um, showy, yacht-type boat that we attribute to slebs. Our royal family, with the exception of a couple of them, are not slebs. They are hardworking, massive producers of wealth and stability in this country Mm. and have been for generations. Yes, of course, every generation or so within that family is born a clown. Mm. Somebody has to keep people tittle-tattling. Yeah, and I'm also also very much aware that every family has its ups and downs, every family has its uh, personality clashes. That's all part of life, isn't it? And in the royal family, it's just a case that because they're in the public eye, we get to hear about it that much more. But every family has that, doesn't it? Let us have built an absolutely state-of-the-art, reliable, exemplary, royal naval hospital ship that can tour the world doing good for the people of the world as its duty between acting as a platform for commercial 
British interests. What better way of presenting Britain than to pull into a major Indian port and be there for three weeks performing eye surgery? Mm. What better way than to go into Africa, a major African port, and perform surgery on cleft palates? All of that I agree with, Greg. And look, don't care. This is going to cost two hundred million pounds, but it's two hundred million pounds which will be recouped remarkably quickly. And in the Divide meantime, that by sixty-eight million, right? And that's how much it will cost us each. Divide that by seventy years. Seventy. Mm. That's how much it will cost us each per annum for seventy years. And remind it's us, Greg, how much did we spend each week on EU membership when we were inside that? This is just yeah, what about a week. Mm, yeah, there's an even more important point than that. Actually, I just mentioned the EU and it links to that now. The Queen has said she would rather it wasn't named after Prince Philip. And I, I can understand that. I understand why she might, <clears throat> pardon me, why she might think that. But we are now in a phrase in our country's history where we are rebalancing the economy and we are forming new trade relationships and different types of trade relationships. Now we are freed from the shackles of the EU. And in terms of the sort of modern trade relationships and the flexibility we now have, and the need to form these sorts of links with people in different parts of the world, this yacht could not only say, look, Britain is open for business, but also come on board. Let's discuss one another's needs and develop a framework for these sorts of trading relationships. Can anybody suggest a better name than the Royal Yacht Britannia? Well, it's been done, though, hasn't it? That's the, that's the well, problem. They call it the Royal Hospital Ship Britannia. Yeah, yeah. Look, that, that's something, there'll be an answer to that, and it'll be something with the Queen's approval that will come in time. But it does look as though this is going ahead now. And for me, like you, this can't come soon enough. I thought it was a mistake when I was 13, 14 years of age to um, scrap the old Britannia, as was and it was a tremendous opportunity lost. And the penny did eventually drop with Blair, who, like I said earlier, I think was the not particularly bright front man for a sort of culturally Marxist project. But explaining to people, and this is a final point, Greg, this is an investment in our country's future. And actually, you just articulated how little money 200 million pounds is in real terms. And these comparisons with, ah, how can you do that when there's people using food banks and stuff like that? That is a totally illogical argument. If you want to get people out of food banks and want them standing on their own two feet, create jobs for them for crying out loud. And that is something that the New York will do. Why have we got food banks? Because the benefit system has been so staggeringly abused by people using it as an alternative to work. Yes. That the benefit system is not doing the job it should be, which is assisting people who desperately need that benefit because of disability, hmm. or as a bridging loan to get back into work. Well, yeah, it's, it's an alternative that hmm. then is supplemented by food banks. Well, yes, and, and what this is really all about is the way that welfare is being abused and it's gone from being a safety net for the genuinely disadvantaged and to help people in time of difficulty to a lifestyle choice for far too many people. But that's a debate for another day. And also we've got a problem in terms of employment in this country and that people aren't trained in the relevant skills where there are significant skill shortages in terms of apprenticeships and 
traineeships and the sort of skills you need in the modern age. But Greg, sadly, time is against us again. A final comment from you, please. For me, this yacht can't come quickly enough. We, particularly at a time when we're forming these trade relationships, it looks like it's going to go ahead. My message to Boris Johnson and those making the decision for crying out loud, get on with it. Not only get on with it, but let us have a solid ship of the line, not some f- celeb style piece of frippery. I let quite us agree. Players of this world out of the project because they will wreck it. Yeah, I quite agree. I quite agree. Well, Greg, time has beaten us, I'm afraid. My thanks to Greg. My thanks to you for listening. Join us again next time.